Marvel Spider-Man. We, we are the do. authors. <laughs> Death of the author. We are the authors. Be a fan. Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Grace. And welcome to our living room floor. Where this week we're talking about Spider-Man. Not just one Spider-Man, all the Spider-Mans. All Spider-Mans. Literally all of them that were born after the 2000s. I don't know. <laughs> all 21st century Spider-Man films. Yeah, that's the words. <laughs> Amy has had caffeine. Grace has not. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, Still don't know how that happened. Oh. Um, okay, so the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. Did you watch them when you were like a kid and they came out? I, I imagine so. I don't. It's one of those things that it's early enough that I don't remember, like, going to see them in the theater, and I don't remember if we, like, rented it or anything like that, but my family was low-key keeping up on them for at least the first two, and I don't know if I watched the third one or just, like, caught pieces of it on TV over the years, um, but I don't remember much of it. I think my brother was kind of into, because my brother's low-key into superhero stuff in a very quiet way. Um, the way my brother does everything. Hey, Justin, I love you. Um, but yeah, what about you? Um, the only one I've, like, confidently know I've seen before is the first one. I'm pretty sure I'd seen the second one at some point. Definitely, um, hadn't seen the third one. Um, but I think my family just, yeah, watched them on TV or, like, rented them later. I don't think we ever went to the theater to see them. Because my parents have always been, like, low-key into superhero stuff just because they watch, like, all big franchise action movies besides, like, Fast and Furious. Um, <laughs> it still cracks me up. Never seen a Fast and Furious movie. Um, but, like, they watch all, like, every Tom Cruise movie Under the Sun and, like, um, all of the, um, like, Bourne movies and stuff like that. So, like, via that, my family's always been interested when superhero movies came out. My sister and I then, like, full-on, like, dove into Marvel, but they still even watch, like, Marvel stuff. Like, my parents have seen the first Avengers movie, like, probably three or four times themselves. So, via that logic and stuff, we paid attention to all Spider-Man movies when they came out, but weren't, like, hanging on, you know, mm -hmm. like, every word and bit about them or something. Okay, so here's a random question that actually has nothing to do with Spider-Man. Okay. Did your family watch the Dark Knight trilogy? Um, I think my dad, my sister, and I watched some of them. I know I haven't seen them all. I know Melanie has seen them all. Because then she was friends with guys in high school who were like, The Dark Knight! Of course, of course. I did peace signs instead of, like, rock hands. <laughs> that explains a lot about who I am as a human being. <laughs> um, so, um, she's seen them all. I think I've only seen the first two i've seen the one that has jason or jordan so what's that actor's name jason gordon levitt jordan something i think jason gordon levitt is his actual name and i just think it sounds wrong for some reason joseph gordon levitt i was close i was very close oh no joseph gordon levitt i've seen the one that he's in but i don't even know which one that is i think that's the second one I've not seen any of them, this, so this is lost on me. But the reason I asked is because 
my parents also were like low key, like you know, picking up on the Spider-Man films and are now fully invested in the MCU. Um, so I was wondering if it's like the precursor to what is now Marvel superhero movies. I just discovered that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a voice in a um, Studio Ghibli film. <laughs> He's done a shit ton of stuff. I knew that, but like I didn't ever think like Studio Ghibli for some reason would be like something he did. Okay, so The Dark Knight and then The Dark Knight Rises. Are those the only two? Or is there three? I thought there was three. There's three. It's the Dark Knight trilogy. So I'm gonna assume that there's okay, three. Okay, well, only two I have, are pulling up on IMDb. On I'm, I'm saying I'm gonna assume there's three, but I have no idea what any of them are because I've never seen a Batman film. I've seen what I think was a Batman film, like the end of it, and like I just remember it reminded me of Phantom of the Opera. So I don't really I was I don't know how old I was at the time, but that's my only memory of a Batman film that I have seen. Oh, it's Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. I always feel like Batman Begins is one of the, like, real old ones. It's the one of the Christopher Nolan Batman films. Okay, so I actually think I've seen all three then because Jason Gordon-Levitt's in The Dark Knight Rises and I've seen the one that he's in. So I have seen all three, but I've seen them so spaced out I don't remember jack shit about any of them, really. Okay. Like, I have a, a small memory of a scene that the Joker's in where he's, like, burning a pile of money. Fun. And I can picture the end of the third one because joseph gordon levitt is kind of like hinted at being a robin and then they never did anything with that and i remember that ending and i remember some like i know there's some like super cool batmobile like it's shifting and doing stuff like scenes okay because we are the opposites of dude bros we know nothing about the dark knight yeah i don't know i just think it's interesting that like like, with how big the MCU has become, pretty much everyone has seen a superhero movie. It's not... Like, it's like... There's nobody to, who's completely yeah, avoided it's them, like, most it's, it's at the point where it's, it's like going to see Star Wars or going to see the Harry Potter films when they were coming out. Like, mm -hmm. you just go see the new Avengers film because, like, it's big. But it's interesting that, like, we got to that point, but, like, I, like, I was just trying to, like... This is all a tangent about, like, precursors to superhero movies and whether it was Spider-Man or Batman, and I feel like for both of us it was Spider-Man. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Which is weird, because I, I think, though, it's a bit, too, of us being younger when Spider-Man started, so then the kind of goofiness of Spider-Man was appealing, <laughs> versus The Dark Knight is so fucking serious. Are you sure that wasn't just, uh, 2002? Um... No, I think you're right. And the Dark Knight, yeah, just looking at like movie posters and trailers for the Dark Knight series and stuff. It's like, dark. It just the Joker's really scary when you're a kid because yeah. like Green Goblin, which scares me that as a fits kid. Batman but... over Spider-Man. Yeah, from the very, very little that I know. All that to say, I guess we were Spider-Man kids instead of. <laughs> but listen, I think we would be Batman people if anyone had ever done quality Bat Family like visual material. Because in the comics, they have such a found family dynamic that's super, super fun and, like, very headcanon heavy and stuff like that. Like, that fandom is really strong. So I think that if we had been exposed to Bat Family, we would love it. But because there's not any Bat Family TV shows or films, that was both of our, like, ways into comics. Since we don't, like, read comics unless we like the visual stuff, like, from mm -hmm. TV and film. Um, I guess I shouldn't say that because, like, comics are also visual. But... 
you you get what I'm saying though yeah. of like if there'd been Bat Family that was e- more easily accessible than just comics, I think we would love Batman stuff because of the found family aspect. Because it, it's it's very fun to like play in those dynamics because it's a bunch of teenagers. Like all of the Robins are teens, oh, yeah. and like Batgirl's a teen, and they're all just like bullying each other lately. Yeah. Well, and isn't it like now we have well, there's Batman the animated series, which is apparently really good. Um, and then is it Teen Titans? What is it that's There was Teen Titans and then they did Teen Titans Go and Teen Titans is, Go is the is more cartoonish that... looking one. Because that's Robin, isn't it? Yes. So Teen yeah. Titans is like the equivalent of Young Justice. Um or so Young Justice is also DC, but then um there's a Marvel equivalent as well. I think they're just called Young Avengers. So it's like um, like Kate Bishop is Clint's daughter in the MCU, but she's not actually his daughter in the comics. She's like his apprentice that he's taught like his skills to. She's in Young Avengers. Um, so is um uh, there's kids with patriotic names who were trained by Sam, I think. But they're they're teenage superheroes. Um and yeah, so in DC Teen Titans and Young Justice are their, like, teen groups. So there's comic lines about both of those. Although, I think Teen Titans was more primarily the TV shows, actually. But um, Young Justice definitely has comics. Like, strings and strings of comics. Because there's, like... um, So, The Flash is Barry Allen, but then there's the kid who took that mantle after him, and that kid is in Young Justice a bunch before he grows up and takes on The Flash's name. Mm Mm-hmm. But a bunch of that, where it's, like, the kids who take their mantles when they get old and retire or die. That was a very long tangent. Yeah. So, anyway, this is an episode about Spider-Mans. <laughs> I can name all the Teen Titans if you want. <laughs> I watched a lot of Teen Titans. I don't feel like that's necessary. Although, Teen Titans has always been one that I wanted to get into. Like, it looked like something I would super It was enjoy. very fun. Also, I had crushes on all of them. Of course. That's <laughs> the bisexual agenda. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Spider-Man. I uh, didn't have a crush on Spo- Toby Maguire if that was information anyone needed. And that's my attempt at a segue. Same here. <laughs> you know who I did have a crush on? Gwen. Gwen. <laughs> God, yeah. I loved Amazing Spider-Man, and now that I think about it, it's purely because of Emma Stone. And Andrew Garfield. But Emma Stone is, like, the way she acts, like, her style of acting is very appealing to me. I think it's something about, like... You can tell she's, like, very comfortable, and she adds in a lot of her own mannerisms, I think, to characters that she plays. Um, And then also just, like, the way she delivers lines. Like, we talked about it, actually. This is jumping ahead now. We talked about it when we were- We're past the point of format. (laughs) Go ahead and jump ahead. (laughs) We talked about it when we were watching The Amazing Spider-Man 2 of how the way they were delivering the dialogue and, like, bantering back and forth reminded us of an indie rom-com because- it was that kind of dialogue where it didn't matter so much they were saying, but the body language and the cadence they were using to say it, where you could tell the chemistry because of that and not because of the actual words. You just needed to know they were comfortable friends who were, like, teasing each other and, mm-hmm. like, shooting back and forth. I think, because it was Emma Stone and EZA, right? Yes. I think... That Grace was is, her, like, big breakout yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. And this is, I had to ask, because Grace is so bad at the celebrity names. Yeah. But this was, like, her second big thing from what I remember. But I think it's that, probably, that timeline sounds right. But I think it's, like, it, it not not in that, like, she's typecast in any way, but I think everyone knowing her from, like, 
the dancing in the bedroom scenes of Easy A and that being kind of like her first like big moment for our generation kind of has followed her throughout her career in like the best way possible in that like this first film she has is her character making a fool of herself willingly to make a point and that is like I don't know like that's the body language we know she has and yeah we were slightly wrong she had Easy A, which I will always argue was her breakout role. She did stuff before it. No one cares about it. Wow. She did then do The Help and Crazy Stupid Love, uh. both of which I have seen and remember her from, too. And then The Amazing Spider-Man came out. But they were all within... That was all within a year of each other. Holy shit. Yeah. A lot of stuff got released. Get yeah, it, I definitely remember her in Crazy Stupid Love, because that's where she's with Ryan Gosling. Never seen Crazy Stupid Love. Honestly... I would be a little scared it wouldn't hold up anymore, but I loved it so much I watched it twice in one day. Okay. Possible podcast episode. I can expose you to old chick flicky rom-com stuff that you've never seen. <laughs> so most of them. Yeah. I also think that, um, see, here's the thing. The Spider-Man films keep growing with, like, our generation and what our generation wants, which I think is hilarious because they're not really we connected to We control Spider-Man. We, we are the do. authors. <laughs> um, Death of the author, we are the authors. <laughs> because, like, I mean, Tobey Maguire is obviously, like, the weird 2000s ones that went off the rail and, like, weird... The third one gets really weird. Just We're uncomfy. <laughs> weird 2000s, early 2000s energy all throughout the series. But then you have Andrew Garfield... Um, who, like, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone have actual chemistry with each other, and, like, you can believe in their friendships, and he gets to have really good relationships with people who aren't just his girlfriend, um, and, like, stuff like that, and we, the point you said about the indie rom-com stuff, and then you go on to Tom Holland's Spider-Man, whose relationship with, uh, his father figure and his best friend are, like, the two most important things in the first film, especially, um, who has tons of racial diversity in the cast, um, including both of his love interests and all of this stuff. And then you go on to Spider-Verse, which is just amazing, cool animation, nerdy comic shit. And his most important relationship is with um, Peter B. Parker and his dad. Yeah, father figures and his uncle. Yeah. Three father figures. Yeah. Gosh, the reveal of his uncle is one of my favorite things. You just like the Prowler music. I love the Prowler music. I love that twist on him seeing his uncle die. Because it's not Uncle Ben, since it's not Peter Parker, but right. it's still playing on that, like, the uncle dies thing. Because that was yep. post everybody being like, I don't want to see Uncle Ben die one more time once they announced Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So they did Miles Morales Spider-Man, and they're like, we're giving you Miles Morales. His uncle still dies. <laughs> but I kind of like that, because especially since they- No, it's fun. Since they had the- like, all of them saying, I lost this person, I lost this person, I lost this person. Like, I like it as a narrative thing, and I really like it. One of my favorite things about Spider-Verse is as someone who has ne had never read a Spider-Man comic at that point, is, like, getting a glimpse of how basically comic versus work in general of like everyone's gonna have this figure to them and they're all gonna be the same and most of them it's gonna be their uncle but it could be someone else and like like everyone goes through the same universe in different ways and it's like something that I knew just like conceptually but had never really thought about until Spider-Verse and in like that like you know 10 seconds or whatever when they're all like I lost my best friend I lost my uncle I lost so-and-so like it hits real hard and then the fact that like yeah you get to go through that with Miles as a completely different character and it's almost like the Uncle Ben story 
fresh because you're like he doesn't have an uncle ben we're not going to see that here that's not part of his origin story and like i don't know it's really cool mm-hmm. no i will say that's a good i feel like tom holland spider-man did that and then spider-verse kept pushing it mm-hmm. because and then people were like wait we love spider-man no matter if he is peter parker since we've only been given cinematic peter parker yes and i think also the tie-in too with the video game being really big when it came out and the fact that miles morales is in the video game even though you're playing as peter parker in the video game and like all of that and Until the fact that the this second, holiday season i know and then the fact that the second one is going to be a miles morales game it's just so good I that's what I should do in November is play um, the first Spider-Man game so that I can play the second one or watch you play the second one when it comes out Mm -hmm. anyway um, we did not play the Spider-Man video game for this podcast which is sad because I could talk about Laura Bailey more (laughs) and we could just have that be one of the checklists (laughs) we have for this podcast this season um, I have played a good chunk of the video game. I just haven't finished it because after I played a good chunk of it, um, my PS4 corrupted and I had to lose <laughs> all of my files and re-download the software. And now I've only played through the first like so you started it again ten hours again probably. But I'm not even close to where I was at because I was all the way at the point where spoiler alert: the bomb goes off and you meet Miles Morales for the first time. I still never met him in that game. Maybe that's what I'll play after I finish Uncharted. I honestly think that not seeing Uncle Ben die again was a huge gain. Introducing him via Civil War then was super helpful because then they could skip that but get him into the universe, Mm -hmm. um, which I really like. So then instead of having to do an origin film, they just had to give us a, like, YA film. Yeah. Which I love. I love how young Spider-Man feels because although he's young and everything because he's in high school and all of these, I feel like Tom Holland Spider-Man feels the youngest in how lost he is about his identity and who he wants to be um you get that with miles morales and him finding the confidence to jump off the building and the leap of faith and all of that um but his comes off in a like in like that big build-up of like he has to find himself and tom holland spider-man is a lot more floundering well, because Tom Holland Spider-Man is already Spider-Man and he's still having those things. Like, Miles Morales, mm-hmm. that's his origin story when he's feeling that uncertainty. And then he immediately becomes a badass, which, like, good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tom Holland's, like, he's already flown across the world to fight in a big superhero battle. He's already, like, fighting crime and made this persona for himself and he still isn't quite sure what to do with it. All the way through, because, like, it's the same thing in far from home on a much greater scale because like world ending calamity events have occurred and he has to deal with that Mm -hmm. um i think too so miles morales is dealing with that huge like i don't know who i am and i feel like andrew garfield is kind of having a similar struggle in the amazing spider-man 2 because he kind of is choosing between like is he going to be spider-man or is he going to be with gwen like it's never that outright but because he will not go back on his word to her father it's the difficulty of he knows he has to be spider-man that is his duty because with great power comes great responsibility so then he's battling with what he wants versus what he thinks is right um and then with tom holland you have a much more personal struggle i think where it's not so big picture because the avengers are out there to handle world-ending situations Mm -hmm. and so for him 
it's not a the world will die without me but it's still like i do have power and i do have responsibility but it's not quite much weight on his shoulders so it can be a much more personal struggle within himself oh, yeah. and it doesn't involve the outside world quite as much and he's still so hung up on the girl like something about him just feels so much more juvenile and i love that i will also say because this is something we pointed out when we were watching tom holland again um that a lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that Tom Holland's Spider-Man grew up in a world with superheroes. Mm-hmm. Like, the first, his first movie shows how, like, you know, flashback to the first event, the first Avengers film, right? The attack on New York City in 2012 or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's very confusing that we keep calling the preliminary Avengers film to come out the first, first Avengers, Avengers film, film because Captain America the First, first Avenger Avengers. is also an MCU movie. <laughs> It's whether or not it's plural. Anyway, yeah. the whatever the okay, you know what I mean. That attack on New York, and it's like five years or something like that before the events of Tom Holland's of of Spider Man Homecoming, um, and it's so interesting. So I remember like I turned to you and I was like, holy shit, these were like little kids. They were like in we eighth did, grade or something like yeah, that. Yeah, we did the math and figured out how old he would be, and we were like, holy cow, like that would be a like fundamental memory in the same way that like for our generation 9-11 is a lot Mm -hmm. of people's first like cognizance of like world events that would be like just a huge traumatic thing for his whole generation especially because he lived in new york and so like having the avengers come in and save the day and all of that and if people knew that Tony Stark, too, saved the city from the bomb, mm-hmm. um, that would also make so much more sense as to why Peter looks up to Tony so much. I mean, there's so many reasons. Like, they do lay the groundwork for that very well. Yes. But that would be a huge reason that he even went to Germany in the first place, because his absolute hero who saved his city, therefore saved his life, and so many other peoples came to him and said, buddy, I need your help. Yep. Um... But I think that really, like, sets the foundation for, like, not... Because every other Spider-Man, like, Tobey Maguire's and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, but, like, they both are trying to kind of define what it means to be a superhero, whereas uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is, like, he has the definition of a superhero, and he's trying to fit that and realizing that, like... It's different than he thought. And yeah, or, like, it's bigger shoes than he can fill yeah. because he's still a kid. And that's such an interesting difference in struggle. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And it's it's also really interesting because you have that with Miles Morales, too. But he, in, in a way, I think Far From Home and Spider-Verse are, like, they both hit the same chord with what Spider-Man's going through in that mm-hmm. moment. I think maybe, too... Okay, I guess this is an assumption I'm making. So first, let's figure out if I'm making an assumption or not. Okay. Um, do you feel like you can connect with Tom Holland and Miles Morales more than an Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Yeah. Okay. So here's my theory on that. Um, I think it's more relatable for us to see somebody struggling to fulfill what they think the expectations are for them more so than somebody trying to find their identity not because people don't have identity struggles but because it's not so clear-cut a metaphor between finding a superhero identity and us finding our own personal identities Mm -hmm. but it's a more clear-cut metaphor for us just like us being the collective audience um to look at somebody struggling to fulfill expectations and feel like they're doing right by the right people 
Um, because everybody's done that because everybody has parents. <laughs> I also, I think it's more, because Spider-Man's story has always been an underdog story, right? He's always oh, yeah. been, like, the nerdy kid or whatever. And I think for our generation, the well, guy- I mean, every superhero every is superhero really is an underdog in some way. Yes, yes, yes. Like, Tony Stark, maybe not, but, like, every other superhero is pretty much an underdog story. But I think the idea of having to rise to a challenge that's been given to you rather than something incredible happening to you and making you different, that's always going to be more relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to be able to relate to suddenly gaining superpowers, but we are going to be able to relate to looking at something we're supposed to be and having these expectations of ourselves and not knowing whether we're good enough or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amy, what is your favorite Spider-Man? <laughs> Oh god, that's a bomb. (laughs) Um, I want. Okay, tell me which one is your favorite, and which one's your favorite movie. That's still hard. Um, I think my favorite Spider-Man is. I think I'm gonna go with Tom Holland, but his movies aren't my favorite movies. Because their plots revolve around Tony Stark too much. (laughs) Good. I think my favorite movie would have to be Amazing Spider-Man or Into the Spider-Verse. Interesting. Wait, one or two for Amazing Spider-Man? One. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I really adore the characterization they give Spider-Man in that one. Like, I don't feel like oh, it's so dissectable, and there's all these, like, things they've done, this groundwork they've laid, because that's how I feel about, like, Tom Holland and Shameik Moore's Spider-Man, but um, I love, like, the quirkiness of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Um, like, I always think of the scene when he um, does the web shooter for the first time, and it works, and he does the weird, like, finger, <laughs> like, excited thing, and he's like, oh, Yeah! Um, like, I always picture that in my head. I think it was in the trailers, which is part of the reason, maybe. Um, but also the scene where he's like, oh no, you found my weakness, small knives. I think he ha- Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man has the most on-brand humor, from what I know of the comics. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very good. Yeah, he's so fun. I think, too, I... Oh, let's be real. I am Amy Jarab. I have a crush on all Spider-Mans. But, <laughs> Andrew Garfield, to me, too, is the most, like... He makes me feel like a high school girl kind of Spider-Man. <laughs> Amy. <laughs> he just makes really cute little facial expressions and stuff. He's quite adorable. And too, like, Tom Holland's Spider-Man came out, like, when I was too old. So even though Tom Holland is the same age as me, like, he's too, like, air quotes, young in the movies. And, like, I, I can't have a crush on him. He looks very I little. can't have, like, little spider. Like, no, no. I'm too old. <laughs> Even though uh, Tom Holland is our age, right? Yeah, he's our he's our age. Didn't we look? Yeah, I think we looked. We looked this up because him and Zendaya are uh, our age. Because I feel the same way about Zendaya, where I'm like definitely have a crush on Zendaya, but can't really in Tom Holland's Spider Man because they are little. They're supposed to be little. Okay, I am a year older than Tom Holland, but oh, we're no, getting we're getting to older. the age where that doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, he's quote our age quote our age roughly early 20s mm-hmm. okay so then what would be your favorite spider-man and your favorite spider-man movie um i really thought we were gonna have the same answer to this and we basically did is that <laughs> tom holland's my favorite spider-man and spider-verse mm-hmm. is hands down my favorite movie um which is weird oh, wait now that i'm thinking more about all the cool animation in spider-verse i'm like is that my favorite movie 
Because, <laughs> oh, okay, here's the thing. I I adore the Spider-Verse soundtrack, and that's a big reason of why I like that movie. But it individually, I don't really like any of the songs on the soundtrack. Yeah, you it's can't, like... Is that a soundtrack you can go and listen to, really? But when you're watching the movie, you're, like, jamming. I will <laughs> say, when you're working from home, it's a great soundtrack to listen to. Until <laughs> you get to... Uh, what's up, danger? And then you don't want to work anymore. You just want to watch that scene over and over again. Um, but yeah, and I just I—that's another one I have really fond memories of. Like I think I've always watched that with people, and like we watched it together with Sarah. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I think I think Tom Holland's Spider-Man is the most relatable. He has an adorable little face. And mostly, I really enjoy the fact that Tom Holland's Spider-Man has... Like you said, it's a YA movie. He has yeah. a friend group at school. Uh, he has the strongest characterization about his interpersonal relationships. Yes. Because Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man had that a little bit. Andrew Garfield's really lost it. Um, except for with Gwen. He kind of had it with uh, Harry in the second one. Kind of. But, like, it was, it was... but the fact that he has no friends except for... Like, he's no friends in the first one. It's just he's dating Gwen eventually. I will say that he and Flash become friends, and it's a very subtle thing, but it's mm-hmm. something that I really liked, and that they, yeah. they, they allowed themselves to show it in the background. Another example of my favorite thing about YA work, where the person who initially is presented as an antagonist becomes like, a friend or something like that. Like, I love when it's like, oh, there's somebody who's, like, the worst problem they have in their life because it's their bully. And then it's, like, the real-world issues happen. Not that, like, bullies aren't real-world issues. They're very, like, a fundamentally changing thing for people. Like, it affects you a lot. But I love that thing that happens in YA where the bully becomes somebody that works alongside them or somebody that becomes a friend or that they end up, like feeling for because then the big bad the actual villain of the work does something and it's like wait there's bigger issues we should be on the same side love it i think it's really cool because like like growing up every everyone who's ever been bullied has heard oh well it's just because they're dealing with xyz don't let it get to you but in ya at least for most of the stuff i've seen whether it's like genre stuff like this where there is a big bad or it's just general like ya novels like, yes, the bully is dealing with shit, but the protagonist doesn't have to just... It, it's not just the protagonist sitting there and being like, oh, I know you're going through things, do you want to talk about it? It's them, like, mutually realizing, them having this really tense confrontation that kind of boils over and from there. Because, like, in in that in Amazing Spider-Man 1, it's when Flash, like, pins him against the... Or, no, Spider-Man pins him against the lock. Yeah, him, Flash walks and up Flash and Spider-Man talks just pins him, him. It's it's both of them having, most of the time, it's it's not just some counselor being like, well, don't let it get to you because they're going through shit too. It's both of them being able to, like, express their emotions and, like, boil over and work from there. It's a very, like, mutual, it, it turns into a mutual respect thing. And I think that's something that, like, because the sentiment behind your bully is only bullying you because they're also going through shit and you need to be compassionate is a really, really good sentiment. But just telling a kid that isn't going to work because they're still fucking being bullied. Right. And I think there's also a certain, like, toxicness to it that trains kids to take whatever's thrown at them and, like, not think they can do anything about it because it's like, oh, but other people are just going through stuff. And it creates those kind of passive people who let themselves be, like, low-key abused all the time. Um, Flash in Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I 
kind of love his characterization because I it's more him. much more of an Easter egg than a true like oh here's Spider Man's origin bully. Mm-hmm. Um, because Flash and Tom Holland Spider Man is so much more like that one person in the friend group that nobody really likes. <laughs> Yeah. Because he is just, like, annoying and aggressive and, like, makes fun of them. And you're like, this isn't what friendship is. Do you know that? You know like, who he's he just that... me of? Who? The kid who outs Simon and loves Simon. Yes! Yes! Where he's just kind of, like, the oddball kid who does the same activities as them, so he's included by default, but no one, like, really wants him there. But they're not going to be mean to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, like, a little bit of the modern bully, because we don't have straight up, like, throw people against the lockers bullying anymore. I mean, I feel like small town America does, but, like, suburban <laughs> Did you America not have doesn't. that in no. your high school? No! One fight broke out the whole time I was in high school, and it was two girls pulling each other's hair by the library. One of them did rip out a clump of the other girl's hair. I guess there wasn't, like, that much... There was a parking but, lot fight one day, but I don't remember who that was. Okay, so there's only a couple fights. I got we the don't... scraps at the bus stop. <laughs> we never had... Okay. Those were, like, high school fights. We had elementary school fights that was, like, yes. me screaming at people at recess. Because well, yeah. when you pushed little Amy's buttons enough, which is still true, but when you pushed little <laughs> Amy's buttons enough, I just start screaming at people. <laughs> um, I don't scream scream at people anymore. I just pop off at some point. Um, but, um, we don't have, yeah, like, people getting pushed into lockers bullying, but I feel like small town America would still have that because it would be, like, the homophobic bullying. It's still not as much, I don't think. Like, yeah. Like, we never had... And so I think this is a good depiction of what, you know, a modern... Okay, so in the same way a bully function is somebody that you can't stop thinking about, you don't know why they're acting the way that they are and you wish they'd stop, Flash is acting as the bully in Tom Holland because he's that friend in the friend group where you're, like, low-key, what you say hurts, but, like, you know? Yeah. And he's he's there to present all of Peter's insecurities when he shows up at the party, when he shows up late for the academic meet, mm-hmm. when he keeps skipping out on all their trips and stuff. Uh, he's, he's there to throw that back at peter that is his point in the narrative yes and also to live stream and be a plot device (laughs) i loved that i do too because too the kid who's so self-obsessed he can't see that what he says hurts people is and like that being a kid who's obsessed obsessed with live streaming his whole life and like putting everything on social media is so clever and i love it I will, I will say... Because he's, like, the popular kid, even though the, none of them are the popular kids. But he's the popular kid of the friend group in that way, where, like, he's so cool and he doesn't care what people think, but he also kind of does, because, like, all of his confidence comes from overcompensating for insecurity. He's a very deep character when you start thinking about it. Wow. I will say that I think Tom Holland's Spider-Man movies have the best grasp of, like, what... I say this as a almost... You know, how old am I? As a 23-year-old... It has the best grasp of, like, what teenagers are into these days, because they're all over Mm -hmm. social media. They're doing, like, all their extracurriculars. They're doing nerdy shit, like, making superhero references and building Death Stars out of Legos and stuff in their free time. Um, And they're talking about internships and what they want to do. Like, it, it seems so real. It's very in touch, and I really wonder how Marvel did that, because (laughs) I don't picture Marvel having people our age in their office. Like, I'm sure there's some, but I feel like there's not people our age who would be high enough up yet to be in the room being like, no, these are what teenagers are like right now, which makes me think 
that it means that there's people old enough working at Marvel that they're talking to their kids about what are the teenagers doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so interesting because that means that, like, maybe even, like, Kevin Feige walked into the boardroom and he was like, all right, so my kids told me people Instagram live. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. I also like the idea of Marvel people accidentally being like, oh, lol, they're gonna make a Death Star because it's so freaking nerdy, and oh my gosh, these kids are always on their phone, so he's gonna be live streaming, it's gonna be- And then it just It's gonna be satirical, and everyone was like, yeah, that's really accurate. (laughs) I like the idea of them being so out of touch that they completely looped around and were on point. Mm -hmm. Headcanon about the making of (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah, and I love too um, the like. Okay, I knew nothing about Mysterio going into Spider-Man: Far From Home. I knew he was a villain. That was all I knew. Literally, like it was a villain played by Jake Gyllenhaal. That's all I knew. I did not even know he was a villain. <laughs> um, I thought he was a villain, and then I got fooled because of the point I told you earlier. Anyways, <laughs> please continue. Um, so. So I knew he was a villain, and I thought for a minute he wasn't even going to be a villain in that movie. Um, they, they pulled that oh so well. But anyways, um, so I didn't know anything about Mysterio, and I love the, like, modernness of him being a guy who is doing CGI, and he's literally wearing a motion capture suit. <laughs> like, that um, is, it, it literally looks like the motion capture suit Mark Ruffalo has to wear for Hulk scenes. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it is the motion like, capture it, suit. Like, it literally could be. Like, they literally just, like, pulled one out of the props department. Or not, it wouldn't even be the props department. They pulled one out of the, like, tech department and were like, here, this is your wardrobe. <laughs> like, that's literally what it looks like. Because um, I was listening to my Marvel podcast I listened to, the Infinity Podcast go listen to it it's great I love it so much um and they were talking about um how in the comics back in the day Mysterio got away with his illusions because he would like rig stuff and because that was special effects at that time was rigging stuff on set it wasn't you know post stuff mm-hmm. um so that it, going into this movie um, one of those hosts was like, I don't know how they're going to pull this off because that's not as like topical and relatable anymore for it to be like he's rigging stuff up across the city to make these illusions. So then for it to be that he's doing them with CGI is such a cool modernization of that character. It's just, it's so fucking cool. Also, the twist! There's, there's like five different twists in the last half of that movie and I'm still kind of reeling from it. I, genuinely, the way they set up that, the first, what, act, two acts? When was the reveal that Mysterio was a bad guy? End of act one? End of act two? See, I, it's not, I don't think it's a clear-cut act sequence in that movie, because that reveal doesn't happen at a normal timestamp for the end of an act. No, because it's not, it's not the end of act one. It's past halfway through the movie, but it is not. At the beginning of Act 3. It's kind of like the... It's like inciting incident number two. Which it's, isn't a thing. It's almost it's almost as if... As if this movie followed Mysterio instead of Spider-Man. And so it's like... Like if Act 2 was how he gets power. And then Act 3 was the finale. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really it's weird. weird. 
But when we got to that point, because my sense of time was off because I was watching a movie, um, but I'd lost track of time so wholly during that movie that it got to the bar scene and I was like, this feels a little short. And I was like, this isn't actually the end, right? Like, I was like questioning it. So when there was the whole reveal, I was like, oh, we're not even into the movie yet. (laughs) I, I'm still not sure whether I feel like it was... The deception was almost so good it was too good. Because we both did not like the movie until we figured out where Mysterio was going yeah, with it. I'm still not sure if they pulled the rug out from under us too many times and the pacing was weird and I it it's not great. Or if it was so perfectly timed that it's on the edge of being too much but it works really well. I don't know. And as I told Amy before this... As I told Amy before this, I genuinely think that part of the problem was I was sitting there and every time I was like, is this a twist or is it real? I'm not sure. A normal movie, I'd be like, like in the bar scene, in a normal movie, I would be like, oh, this is like something's about to happen. He's about to turn on him. Oh my gosh. But I completely bought it because I did not think that the MCU could write so well enough that they made such a believable twist. Mm-hmm. Upsetting. Which is sad because I do like the MCU, but it's it's just not... It's not that kind of, like, they haven't had that kind of focus and eloquence on a single movie script since probably Winter Soldier. Yeah. Thank Um, you for recognizing the greatness that is Winter Soldier. I've lived with you for how long? (laughs) I understand. In this house, we respect the Winter Soldier. (laughs) In this house, we rewatch the Winter Soldier. Um, So, what I think is really interesting is... Which, I mean, I know I already talked to you about this, but once again, i got to rehash things for the podcast. Um, the way that they pulled some of the twists with uh, Mysterio's illusions makes me very scared that now that this tech exists going forward in Marvel, you will never know if what you're seeing is real. But what I do really love about Mysterio's illusions and how good they are is that I think that Tom Holland might have, like, a PTSD story in the next Spider-Man. Oh, they set the, They definitely they s- set him up for They one. set it up for him to have some serious mental stuff going on, which is something that I always want to see more of with superheroes because Clint's comics handle it really well. Some of the Captain America ones handle it, and I know, um, I think there are some, um, but, um... What I am always looking for is more um, nuanced and realistic repercussions for, like, mentally everything that superheroes go through. Because, yes, some of them are superhumans, but that doesn't make them exempt from mental illness because none of us are. (laughs) Um, But I think it's so interesting, like, the third Iron Man, when they gave him um, his, like, time to work through his PTSD was so interesting, and the way that they had a child there to witness it for him to have to explain it to was super super cool and I loved that um I hate that Steve does not get that in the MCU and that's why I write fan fiction um because he should have so much more wrong with him than he does (laughs) um this is all said very lovingly um and I think that if they give Tom Holland a like mental story I think that would be really cool to see in somebody so young where it's like he has lost his 
third father figure in life because he got lost his father, his uncle, and now Tony, which we don't really know anything about his uncle or his father, but still, this, the idea is there. So he's lost Tony. Um, then he was basically tortured by Mysterio, let's be real. After Mysterio became a father figure to him, too. Mm-hmm. So a father figure turned on him because he's so desperate for a father figure. He went to Mysterio um, and bonded with him so fast because of that, and Mysterio fucking exploited that. Tom Holland with trust issues. Oh, hardcore. Ah, it's gonna be Tom Holland with trust issues. I, I will say two things. One, yes. that makes me afraid that, like... Because Tony Stark has his little fingerprints, his little million billionaire Playboy fingerprints all over <laughs> Playboy Tom- billionaire philanthropist fingerprints all over Tom Holland's Spider Man, and I'm afraid that like, not that I think they would make it too similar to Spider Man three or to Iron Man three, but that people will criticize it for just being another Iron Man three. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, that would also play very nicely into a story about Tom Holland being revealed or Peter Parker being revealed as Spider-Man like he was, spoiler alert, at the end of Far From Home. Yeah, so with that reveal and everything he's been through, I almost feel like they could do, which I don't think the MCU would, but I think they could do a really, really dark Spider-Man where, like, he's depressed. Oh, yeah. It would make total sense, but I don't think the MCU would do it because that's just too dark for them. They don't do stories that heavy. They don't. But I do think they've set it up well where if they so chose, although I don't fully have faith in them to do so, basically everyone Peter interacted with in Far From Home owes him a fucking apology. Ned kind of ditched him for, like, his Mm -hmm. girlfriend on the trip to Europe. And throughout the entire trip, like, some of the sad, like, the points in that movie that hit the hardest is when Peter would return to the group and Ned would be like, well, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, he'd be, he'd be scared, he'd be stressed out, he just wanted a break, and Ned would be like, well, what's Spider-Man going to do about this? And be like, thanks for taking care of it. Like, it's- So much pressure on him. Yeah, he's putting pressure on him, um- Nick, and I, I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I said that, I fucking hated Fury in this movie. Mm-hmm. And we as the audience find out that it's not actually Fury, and maybe that's why he's acting weird, but Peter never finds out, so there's no still no sense of judge of uh, justice for how much pressure he is unnecessarily putting on Peter. Like, I want a scene where he's held accountable, even though it's not technically Nick Fury, we still don't it get is, the- It is, though, because he's making somebody be his likeness, so he doesn't yes. have to do anything, is kind of what it seems like. Well, he's working on something. Um, because he was- Yeah. He was- he's working- it looked like a Hainer or something he was in in space. I think it might have been the space- Station that's at the end of Captain Marvel. That's where the aliens are staying. That makes sense. I think that might be what it was, but um, I don't know for sure. But either way, we as the audience don't ever get the satisfaction of the movie being like, by the way, how he treated Peter in this was wrong. Like, no mm-hmm. character calls him out on it or anything like that. And I, th- I feel like that's one of the twists. I think that's what bothered me about having that being an, the extra twist of the movie is that the entire time, and I don't know if they meant for us to feel as strongly about that relationship as I personally did. Um, I imagine they probably didn't, but I think that's what got me. Like, yeah, it's a twist, so it explains what it was happening, but like never really addresses it, mm-hmm. which it was a post credit scene, so that makes sense. But I really just, I want 
and like Aunt May putting pressure on him, and well, yeah, he's working for her charity and mm-hmm. all of that. Like, this kid needs an actual European vacation now, and a fucking break, and a few mm-hmm. apologies, and I want him to get that support in Spider Man Three. <laughs> a dynamic, yes, that just popped into my head about the in, in the future of the MCU, is. Sam taking up Captain America's mantle and then adopting Peter. Yeah, Peter being in the Avengers. And because the two of them haven't really interacted that we've ever seen, um, except for like the fight at the airport in Civil War. But we haven't seen just a conversation between them. And I feel like Sam, with all of his like veteran sort of uh, like knowledge and the way that he articulates things and him in the midst of taking up like a position and Peter struggling with that I think could be if they play into that in some way where they get to meet in a future movie would be really really cool and there's only going to be standalone Marvel movies for a bit here Mm -hmm. and especially who knows how far things are going to get delayed because of COVID so like we're looking at years before another like ensemble film but then again we've had non-ensemble titled films that were ensemble films Civil War so Captain America Civil War um so maybe Sam could be in Spider-Man 3 who knows but um, I think that could be a really interesting dynamic. Like, if they could find the right Avenger to guide Peter through, like, filling his, like, role as an Avenger or, like, whatever you want to call it, I think that could be incredibly interesting to watch. And I feel like Sam would be really good for that. I feel like Sam would be really good. I feel like he and Bucky would make a good tag team, too. Because I imagine Bucky and Peter meeting would be essentially the same exact thing as Bucky and Steve meeting. There is a Falcon Winter Soldier meeting TV show. There is. Um, Hmm. Possibilities. But also, if you think about if Sam was helping him through like the need to step up Bucky at the same time could help him through I don't know what's real anymore or who to trust and I've had visions barf fucking barf yes yeah yeah okay fucking MCU why did you invent something that is about like restoring memories and all of this shit and then never fucking use it except for Jake Gyllenhaal to be angry (gasps) why would you invent something listen 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 if Peter finds out that that's the technology that Mysterio was using and he has somehow he'll probably have to find that out in order to stop whatever footage that Mysterio has out there of him and if Bucky and Sam are the ones helping him through his PTSD, then Peter figures out that he can use Barf to save Bucky. Or to uh, help Bucky. <coughs> Except I think at this point he's being considered like he has been helped. I think they did something in Wakanda. Because otherwise... Oh, that's he, true. That's true. Otherwise he wouldn't have been able... They wouldn't have called on him for Endgame or Infinity War. That's very true. Well, for him, Infinity War just bleeds into Endgame because he's popped out of existence. But, um, yeah, why the fuck did the MCU invent something that's about being able to restore and alter memories and then not use it on the brainwashed super soldier where they're looking for a solution to him being able to trust his memories and mind? Because as soon as the the MCU figured out people thought Bucky could be gay, they stopped giving a shit about him. Yep, and they took away all of his cool assassin fighting skills and they just gave him a rifle to go choo-choo-choo, choo-choo-choo with. What happened to knife flips? Come on. 
Come on. Come on. Or even the cool, like, mechanized noises of his arm. They just put a black sleeve over it all the time now. I know. It's such bullshit. And I know it's... so aesthetic before. Listen. I know it's been heavily hinted that it is because it takes so much fucking time and money to put that arm on Bucky. But... God damn it! Just you spend have the, the money. Time you're the MCU. And the money. Oh. Yeah, they have their look. If they can make fifty different fucking Iron Man suits, they can make a fucking. Metal Those are CGI. I know, but still, fucking nanotech. But where are we going with this? I don't even know. I started an MCU rant. That's supposed to be the next episode, Amy. I know. Ugh. Add it to the season checklist. Yeah. Oh, the dynamic, though, between Tom Holland's Spider-Man and an Avenger being able to help him through what he's struggling with, especially if that goes into, like, a darker place in his mind in the third movie, would be super good. Alternatively, I really love him and Happy's dynamic at the end of this, of Far From Happy kind of starts to become his father figure. Yeah, which is what he needs, and he needs a solid but, one who's probably, he needs one that's not a fucking superhero. Yeah, also, like, especially I know he's a kid, I know he's going to be, like, looking for that to be filled in his life. Oh, he's so cute. Cat interruption. He's chasing his tail. Um, that like he's a kid, so he's gonna be looking for that in his life no matter what. But part of me also wants to be like, let Tom Holland do something that isn't looking for a father figure. Because yeah. it's just seeped so heavily into both of his films so far. It's like I get that for it to feel, like, cohesive and have, like, an overall arc, it probably will be there, because it'll be like, he finally found a good father figure, and, like, it gave him confidence or something like that. But also, like, what if he just wasn't looking for a father figure? And this goes back to the whole thing where, like, so much of the MCU revolves around daddy issues. They all have daddy issues. But if it is happy, then he doesn't have to spend the next film looking for a father figure. He He just just has has one. Which is what he fucking deserves. Yeah. Alright, now that this seems like it's just heading into a rant about Marvel, we'll save that for the next episode. So, be on the lookout for a full-on MCU rant, or avoid it all uh, at all costs, depending on where you sit. But for now, if you want to hear more hot takes on Spider-Mans and other nerdy things, have we ever done non-nerdy things on this show? We're inherently nerds. Everything we do is nerdy. If you want to hear more hot takes like that, then you can follow <laughs> us on Twitter at BFAFpod. Or if you want to follow our personal Twitters, mine is at hey, it's underscore Amy J. That's A-M-Y-J-A-Y. And I am at Grace underscore Jessica. That is Jessica with two A's. And until next time, folks, stay safe swinging out there. Wear a mask. Black Lives Matter. Wear a mask that says Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I would also like to point out that if you wear a Spider-Man suit, counts as a mask. That's true. I've seen. Have you seen the comic that's like Spider-Man and Deadpool, and Deadpool has a mask on? He's like, dude, where's your mask? And his <laughs> like katanas have little masks on them. I haven't <laughs> seen this. I saw it. I'll try and find it for you. That's amazing. Until next time, guys, have a yes good day. Bye-bye.